0: Behind every success story, there is a long line of triumphs and defeats that remain hidden from others. These stories get condensed into journeys that minimize the struggle and wrap up with a happy ending. we know that's not how life works that's where from the ashes with mark Azulay comes in on today's show you'll hear honest conversations about the challenges that mark's guest faced and how they overcame adversity now here is your host mark Azulay.
1: welcome back to from the ashes i'm your host mark Azoulay. And I'm sitting here with Tamara Sattler. Tamara, we've, we've known each other for like five or six years. I still remember, um, that first walk that we took up Canyon in Boulder, just talking about, you know, our lives, our practices. We were both kind of, you had just moved here. I had just graduated. And since then we've gone on to, you know, run supervision groups together to work together. And I think really see each other grow. And I'm excited to include you in this, in this next kind of chapter and, um, catch up and see see where you're at with a bunch of stuff and how your practice and life is evolving.
2: Absolutely. It's nice to see you again, Mark.
1: Yeah, I think it's gonna be really cool. And the topic we're going to talk about is one that is really requested a lot by our listeners. Um, Psychedelic assisted psychotherapy is something that is big, uh, that's taboo, that's controversial, um, charged for a lot of individuals, uh, myself included, and you have an experience uh, as a client. So you want to tell the listeners a little bit about that?
2: Yes, I do. So I am probably typical in that I've seen um, when you have an issue. So pretty much my entire life, definitely starting with my teens, I had an eating disorder, bulimic, anorexic, lots of relational uh, issues through my 20s, 30s, and saw a ton of different therapists and did a ton of different techniques so everything from emdr which everyone says works on single episode um things like brain spotting um did breath work yoga then tried um you know let's see somatic experiencing therapy somatic therapy then i tried psychoanalytic therapy cbt you name it um So until recently, I suffered a lot with feeling dissociated, not in my body, attachment issues. Um, Going back to an infant surgery. So I had a surgery when I was six weeks old and I was put in the hospital for about a month. You know, not too bad. No one, it didn't really raise any concerns for any of the therapists. And so I've been struggling up. To date, I'm 55 years old. Sorry, I just turned 56. So that's a long time to struggle. So. Um,
1: Can you say a little bit about the struggle? Like what is, what's actually come from that uh, experience?
2: Yeah. So um, you mean post, um, post psychedelic or pre? You
1: know, no, pre, 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 yeah. or, you know, like the, the impact that that surgery had on you. Were you able to trace it any of your behavior or beliefs about the world?
2: A lot. Um, So so I mentioned just briefly, um, so eating disorders, I believe, directly came from that. Relationship issues, um, dissociating, not feeling. I think a lot of my attachment stuff came from the infant surgeries. Um, Kind of a complex PTSD, if you will. Um, Let's see, what else do I think? Yeah, just kind of always feeling a little out of body, going into fantasy mode more than actual reality. So, um, but attachment issues are enough to really make life difficult if you're having trouble with, if you want a relationship, but have trouble with relationship, if you want to have close friendships, but having trouble. Um, So I really believe um, it all stems back because I really had nothing much else besides, you know, the typical, um, you know, kind of waspy parents, uh, you know, unemotion, a little unemotional, very safe. That definitely contributes. But the infant surgery is what made things, I believe, so much more difficult because all of my siblings are, you know, relatively normal and stable uh, with the same parents. So, Yeah. That gives you a flavor of the difficulties, not Mm -hmm. easy.
1: Mm -hmm. Right. So I'm just hearing, like you said, association and inability to, when you you mean by attachment issues, do you mean inability to let people in or, or trust them or how did that show up in a relationship with you and how do you link it to the surgery?
2: Yeah, it's kind of, so I would say more anxious, ambivalent, avoidant attachment style. So never quite feeling comfortable with touch or with people being too close mm-hmm. um, because I was never really in my body. It just felt like I was always um, dissociated or needing to uh, push and pull people um, w- without a lot of understanding.
1: That makes sense. Okay. So you have these experiences and then you go and you try these different therapeutic modalities. Yes. Can, what was that like?
2: Um, well, um, yeah, from, let's see, I think 27 on living in, uh, the Bay area. Um, well, you know, I was always hopeful and then I would go to see these people, like, for example, number, uh, one person, works with, I think his name is Ray Costolano. Um, he's doing the infant surgery studies in the Bay Area, San Francisco. And I was so excited when I identified this to be a possibility that it related to infant surgery. I wanted to see one of his practitioners, very helpful. After about three sessions, she, she said, yeah, no, I just can't reach you. Nope sorry. I was like, um, what do you mean you can't reach me? Yeah. You're just, um, you're unreachable. So I don't think we're going to be able to help you. That was a very sad day. Um, yeah. So, you know, EMDR, oh, EMDR works on every, everyone with single incident trauma. Uh, no, (laughs) um, yeah. Brain spotting, breathing, yoga, I lived in an ashram for a while. Uh, Yeah. And I was probably, I still work with some of the best names, I think, in the therapeutic community. But not a lot of change.
1: So you're really trying to figure this out.
2: Uh, Yeah, I really wanted a healthy relationship. And I really wanted to, it's hard to talk about now because I'm actually here but I really wanted to be here. I wanted to be present in my experience, uh, sensing like normal people sense when they have butterflies. I had zero butterflies, really zero anything. So I could do a lot, like I could perform. I I was really good in business, but I wanted to have senses like most people.
1: Hmm. You just wanted to feel, you wanted to be touched by the world, sounds like.
2: Yeah. I wanted to be impacted, touched both literally and physically. Um, yeah. And so I was, you know, always in, I went to CIS, which was somatic was really big at the time. And I would have a lot of conversations about, Oh, you're not in your body. Really? How do you know I'm not in my body? Cause you're not in your body. Okay. Well, can you get me in my body? No, I can't get you in your body you just have to be in your body. Well, I don't know how to, how do I get in my body and be in my body if I don't know how to do be in my body? So this went on for those conversations in the clinical communities. Well, they're still ongoing, but um, as far as just the conversation, but that went on for about 10 years. So it's hard to know to be in your body when you don't know how, or you're unable to.
1: Well, yeah, and that's such a vague instruction, I know. just to yeah. be in your body. Well, I mean, what does that, what do you think that they meant by that? Or what did you take that to mean when people were telling you that?
2: Yeah, I think the somatic, I mean, the somatic um, movement really came on board. So I think the instruction was spend time in your body and let us know what you're feeling what senses you're having, what color it is. That one used to really bother me a lot. Um, and just let us know your experience. And I didn't have any information for these people. So um, that was very frustrating.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think that, that happens a lot. You know, I mean, you know, and maybe the listeners know that my practice is primarily with with men and even my own experience, like, we don't have a lot of that language. So when asked, like, what do you feel in your body? A lot of it's like nothing, right? Or like, maybe I feel a little tense or I feel like I have a, you know, lower back pain or something, right? But no. I, I I remember having the experience of being like, wow, am I like a sociopath? Like, am I, am I just like dissociated and numbed out and just like broken? Like, why can't I do something that just seems so easy and so obvious you know
2: yeah and it seems like my latest hypothesis people who have really who do not have like frozen nervous systems like i have for people who are more um you know hsp or highly sensitive nervous systems they could tell you the pinpoint of like what, you know, how big the pinpoint of their sensation is, what it's doing to their nervous system, how their breathing's impacted. I was like, yeah, oh yeah, I don't have any of that. So, and I can actually see some of these somatic therapists when I would see them, actually their breathing would increase. They would say like, oh, I'm feeling this from you. And it's like, okay, cool. (laughs) So yeah, it was, um, yeah, some people are just more embodied Than others, maybe to a point of too embodied, like too somatic. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so.
1: Right. So you were totally disconnected, really unable to form relationships, trouble being touched. What turned you on to psychedelic assisted psychotherapy? What was the call? How did you learn about it?
2: Yeah. So, hmm. Well, as you know, Boulder, you know, a lot's going on here. Maps, um, there's a big group of maps here. I don't know, it might even have been founded here. Um, With the suggestion of a friend, I read A Really Good Day by a lawyer who started microdosing um, LSD, actually. Then I read Michael Pollan's book, and I was kind of like, nah, you know, I never did psychedelics in college, maybe when a lot of people did. So, It took me a long while, and then I heard some really good research and some good stories from people um, in and around Boulder. And now John Hopkins has a study with um, MDMA, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to give this a try. Um, Pretty reluctant, always hopeful, but, you know, it's going to be the same as everything. Um, And then I had my first session. And I'm wondering, um, I just want to pause and make sure we have time to kind of go into my first session a little bit. Do we have time to do that?
1: Oh, yeah. Okay.
2: So, and I am not joking. (laughs) Um, This is factual. So had my first session. Uh, It kicks on in about, let's say 20 to 30 minutes quite, you know, a dose of my body weight plus whatever they say, plus 25 grams, something like that. And within about an hour, I was back in the hospital room. I have chills right now. Um, My guide, I thought was my nurse. So she took on sort of the kind of the effect as a nurse and I am looking out of an incubator of this glass kind of structure and just like frozen. And I remember the guide went out to have a snack and came back and it was just like the nurses leaving. I mean, just as if it was yesterday. Um, when the so-called guide nurse came back, um, I could feel my uh, body start to thaw, if you will. Started experiencing sensations, lots of like serious, like flooding energy. And then the guide held me for three hours, stroked my head. I don't normally curl up in strangers' arms, <laughs> strange female arms, but curled up in her arms and she stroked my head for about three hours which felt like 15 minutes and held me close to her chest and um yes so this went on for about six hours until the medication started wearing off and i had tons of surges i mean like even in the you know kind of my sexual um area my whole body was like lighting up as almost like a little, you know, kind of like a little, yeah. um, I'm picturing like if I were driving a plane, like everything started, you know, the circuit board started lighting up and I was a believer. And um, pretty soon after that, most everything has changed literally from the moment I pretty much walked out of that room um business partners started coming relationships started coming um uh eating was better uh i can feel my body i can feel my body right now uh yeah kind of a miracle Mm -hmm.
1: wow that's a pretty incredible story
2: yeah thank you
1: i mean it's just so wild to just imagine you on the ground being held by this woman and having, you know, the experience that I guess you didn't have, you know, when you were a child, having that corrective rewiring that you're talking about.
2: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I still get a little emotional thinking about it. So yeah.
1: As we go into our commercial break, uh, we'll, on the other end of it, we'll talk a little bit more about what it's like now, right? Post that experience, um, you said that your know, your life is improving, and that all these different changes are happening. I'd love to hear about them in our second segment, and talk more about what you think the mechanism is. How did that work? What what did it unlock that these other things were not able to were not able to access for you? Um, so for those of you listening at home, uh, stay tuned. If you want to hear more about this story, uh, pull back a little bit of the theory behind it, and um, we'll catch you on the other side
0: of the break. What's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. In Mark's work with high performers and business owners, it is becoming increasingly clear to him that their biggest obstacle to success is themselves. They are experts in their field, but are dragged down by their anxiety, poor time management, inability to focus, or self-sabotage. His role is to help you overcome these emotional and organizational issues so that you can truly excel in your business and your personal life. One of the most common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. It's a fear of not being good enough, being publicly embarrassed, or of disappointing others. These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit mark-azulay.teachable.com. That's mark m-a-r-c-azuley-a-z-o-u-l-a-y.teachable.com. listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark-azoulay.com. Now back to From the Ashes.
1: Welcome back to From the Ashes. I'm your host, Mark Azoulay. And we're sitting across the room with Tamara Sattler talking about psychedelic assisted psychotherapy, specifically MDMA. She's been sharing her experiences as a client and working with some, what we would call in the therapeutic field, pre-verbal trauma, right? Trauma that you endured uh, as a baby with a surgery of not feeling safe and being disconnected from your body. And you just went through this incredible story of your first session where you were saying, you know, the circuit board came back online and... You were able to feel yourself, and uh, also allow yourself to be held by the facilitator, by the guide, and you were just about to tell the listeners how your life has changed since having this big moment uh, during during the session. So, what's life like now?
2: Yeah. So, um, so I had kind of heard through circles that everyone's life changes by doing this work, and it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> so. Um, things that I can't explain. Uh, I've been trying to start a business for, oh, I don't know, 10 to 15 years. Right after leaving session, a thought popped in my mind, oh, I think I need the leading um, expert in what I'm going, what I'm doing. Um, So thought of a person who knew him, picked up the phone, called that person. She said, yes, started a business. Okay. Did that come out of the session? Well, um, it seems like it also a boyfriend. I have not had a boyfriend for a long time. Did that come out of the session? I don't know. It seems like it. Um, I don't feel, um, I also said in a second session, um, that I don't have attachment issues anymore, I don't have any abandonment issues, um, I don't experience any kind of comings and goings, any transitions as hard, um, breakups, like just don't feel, I guess the best way I can explain it is now that I have myself, I can't lose myself. I mean, I guess we'll see if my current relationship um, doesn't work, but it doesn't feel like it. I am able to get closer to a lot of my friends in a new way. Let's see what else, not needing substances really at all. When in the past, maybe I used substances to connect a little more. Um, Yeah, so Life. Oh, I used to get, so I'm a clinician also, I'm a therapist. I used to have an experience when I saw about 15 clients a week that I would not exist. So I had to come home, not talk to anyone, try to eat, try to get myself back into the room. Uh, don't have that at all anymore. Um, similar clientele. So how else has it, business feels really grounded my the um app i'm creating yeah partnerships just i keep waiting almost for the other shoe to drop like oh when's my business partner going to tell me i'm not good enough or that i'm she doesn't want to work with me anymore nope she doesn't she's completely delighted she loves my work um keep expecting my boyfriend to say you're too much you're too emotional um I can't be with you. Nope. (laughs) Um, I have no anger. I had a lot of, I think, pent up rage. I think like a lot of us women, no anger. Um, yeah. So life is different. And I guess just the small moments, um, I'm able to enjoy like I'm looking at a tree right outside my window. I'm able to enjoy the tree and the breeze and, um, experience life as me helps me experience life. Period. I don't know if that sounds too new agey, but I experience life now. I experience other people's emotions. I, I'm impacted deeply. Um, yes. So that's how life is like. It's, you know, quite a shift.
1: Yeah, I mean that's wild. It's like a 180 shift. It not like you came from being like, you know, really just dead and numb to the world and resentful and angry to now being open and, and trusting and loving and actually connecting to the present moment.
2: Yeah. And I just wanted to add, so as a, as a female in our culture, I was taught to be nice. So I didn't always experience or let out, you know, my rage or anger. So I was play acting a nice female for a very long time um so it's just interesting to actually really be kind and not play acting kind or if I do get upset it's okay to express in the moment versus you know um kind of pack it down and then have an eruption so I'm I'm just aware of like the moments, like other people are aware, or some people are aware of the moments, they're mindful, mo- now I'm aware of moments, so then I can catch myself, like, oh, maybe I don't want to say that, or I don't want to do that, um, yeah, so it's, yeah, so I'm a huge believer, and right now, so as I said, I'm a therapist, and I work with people that are very similar with, to me, which is type four Enneagram, out to our worst it's borderline personality disorder it's got a lot of you know attachment stuff you can always read about the Enneagram so I work with most people like me and it's still illegal MDMA and I want every single one of them to do this but I can't say anything that is problematic and hopefully in 2022 they say we've got a lot But the MAPS people are saying MDMA in 2022, I doubt it. I mean, we're almost to 2022, but I am already investigating how I'm going to potentially be a guide when it's legal. And I would like to, you know, now that I'm licensed, I want to be one of the first therapists to actually take clients through this process.
1: Yeah. Can you say more about that? Like, where do you see... Your role in this or maybe where do you see the the industry or the culture as a whole moving when it comes to the psychedelic situation, right? The the, the topic.
2: So a New York Times article, I think was like two months ago, said uh, psychedelics is going to replace psychiatry. I mean, that's a bold statement.
1: That's a big statement.
2: It's a big (laughs) statement. But for a lot of my clients who have relational attachment issues, they can't take meds. Meds don't treat you know, these kinds of symptoms. So, um, gosh, where do I see this going? Well, I see myself definitely, they're called guides right now, slash therapists, I definitely see myself working with um, psychedelics, mainly MDMA for right now. And talk therapy seems almost like what I'm experiencing right now is, Talk therapy establishes the connection to get ready to do a big attachment or a big um, journey, if you will. So I'm seeing talk therapy as different these days. Um, Yeah, and also a little bit um, maybe bewildered or a little frustrated that I can't help my clients heal now so I have to get really creative in session without being able to touch them without being able to sit close because of COVID or just in general it's um there's a lot of limitations on being a licensed therapist and limitations you know that I won't go over you know uh, meaning you know I will abide by until this is all legal
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think at least in Boulder or in other like, you know, very progressive parts of the country, the boundaries are starting to degrade a little bit. Right. And they're starting to become more flexible. And I do see things, you know, psychedelic assistive psychotherapy being one of them. But also I think of like, you know, sexual surrogacy. Right. Or I think of like cuddle groups or things where touch becomes a lot more important into the work. And the boundaries break down more, right? And it becomes more about not being a clinician, right? Not like doing a service for a person, but actually just being an important person in somebody's life, right? Like being having a meaningful experience, having that big release uh, with somebody else, which I think would be very powerful and I think can be very dangerous. You know, those those walls are there for a reason.
2: Exactly. And that, you know, I would like to think of myself because I'm licensed I'd carry the same similar ethics and legalities into being a guide um but I'm really excited about it so um you also said a little something about gosh like how did I actually change and I've had this conversation with a lot of people in the know including people at maps and I don't really know (laughs) All I know is I had an experience that I never had that you spoke to and that time must have done something to rewire my neuropathways. I don't know a ton about brain research, but it actually allowed something in my unconscious correlated with my body to almost like, um, um, dilute, if you will, or dissolve. That's how it felt. So something was in the way. Um, and it felt like it just shook me up enough. Oh, basically, MDMA turns off your limbic system. Um, so something that I was braced for in everyday life went offline and so that I could re-experience or for me, experience for the first time ever a caretaking bonding you know um hold that I never received but I still don't know exactly how all this works there is a mystery to this that I will never claim to understand and I'm three um so I'm three sessions out so I've had three individual MDMA sessions and each time there is something dramatic that happens after that can't be um That's either synchronicity or there's no statistical, you know, validity or reliability. So I'm going to leave it to mystery at this point because that's how it feels.
1: Yeah, I think it's still something that the mechanisms are really being understood and studied, right? I mean, these, you know, chemicals, these compounds were discovered, what, like 60s, 70s and then locked down. Right. They were made illegal and they were locked down. And I don't think we really understand the mechanism. I mean, the SIM with actually a lot of psychoactive medication, right? I mean, our industry doesn't exactly know how these drugs work, but they do seem to have positive effects with people. So I think there is like a mystery component or, you know, a um, trial and error component, certainly. You know, it makes me think back. So I've never done MDMA-assisted psychotherapy, but I have done a lot of MDMA when I was in my – um you know, drug use phases. I think I talked about it on the episode with, uh, you know, Sarah Hertzberg, but I did talk about how I wasn't aware of how much fear, quite frankly, and judgment and shame I carried with me Mm -hmm. until I took that drug for the first time and finally felt comfortable and safe and able to connect and kind of similar to what you're talking about present in in my body and and in the world. And it was like a veil had been lifted and You know, I knew I couldn't live there, but I did know that it was possible. And I did, like I said, I didn't know the things that were clouding me until they were gone. I just thought that what I was experiencing was normal or that there was um, something wrong with me or that that's how it would always be. Maybe that's more accurate. I thought that I would always feel this level of disconnection until I had the quite powerful experience. Um, For me, it was like, you know, on the dance floor of a rave, but having the experience of like, oh, wait, I don't have to be afraid all the time life can feel very, very differently.
2: Love, I love that you said that. Yeah, from, um, from what I'm hearing and my own experience, it's you, know, it's, you know, to be kind of dramatic, you know, to be the divine or to have like, you know, uh, like Rumi, like a kiss from the universe. I mean, that's how the possibility of like, wow, I can actually love people and I can be loved, is pretty exceptional. I mean, I of course, you know, I'd like our political structure to take MDMA. I'd love, you know, the whole healthcare industry. Really anyone that is in a caretaker role or who may not even be able to receive themselves. They can give, but they can't receive. So I think it's a pretty big deal. And I'm reading, I think the book is Keys to Immortality. And it goes back before Christianity and talks about how, you know, a lot of the sacraments back then they took um psychedelics, but you know, that's kind of gotten a little bit, you know, poo-pooed along the way. So this has been, you know, through time. And so I'm pretty excited about it. And then, you know, of course, there's always caution, like everything, you know, you don't do Um, you don't do a session four months, you know, you wait four months or four to six months and then you do lots of integration. So you don't, it's set in settings, a big deal. I'm involved in a consciousness book club right now with um, the school of consciousness medicine, people all over the world. We have 200 people on the call, a book club to talk about consciousness medicine book written by Francois Bergo in the Bay area. So and she worked with Ralph Metzner, who's one of the key people along with Timothy, Le- you know, Tim, Le- Timothy Leary and um, Ram Dass. So, yeah. So. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. This is a really big movement that's happening. Yes. We're going to move into our next commercial break here, but on the other side, we'll talk a little bit more about, you know, what a client might experience, you know, more of that set and setting the kind of nuts and bolts. Um, and if there's somebody listening you know, what they might, uh, how they might seek this out or, you know, what kind of questions they might have going into it. But if you're listening now and you want to support the podcast, it's really helpful to share it on social media, send it to somebody who you think might benefit from this conversation, uh, leaving a high star review, five star on, um, you know, iTunes or Spotify, any of those really helps us to get the word out and helps more people get access to this information. So thank you so much for listening and, uh, see you on the other side of the break.
0: What's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. In Mark's work with high performers and business owners, it is becoming increasingly clear to him that their biggest obstacle to success is themselves. They are experts in their field, but are dragged down by their anxiety, poor time management, inability to focus, or self-sabotage. His role is to help you overcome these emotional and organizational issues so that you can truly excel in your business and your personal life. One of the most common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. It's a fear of not being good enough, being publicly embarrassed, or of disappointing others. These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit mark-azulay.teachable.com. That's mark m-a-r-c-azuley-a-z-o-u-l-a-y.teachable.com. listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark-azoulay.com. Now, back to From the Ashes. Welcome
1: back. I'm your host, Mark Azoulay. And if you've been listening to this episode on MDMA assisted psychotherapy and either you're interested in it um, or maybe you're relating to what Tamara was saying about having difficulty, you know, being touched, being in a relationship, uh, having a lot of push pull dynamic, uh, stay tuned because we're going to go through some tips of some things to consider if you can connect with this conversation. So, Tamara, what would you tell a listener that, you know, Relates with you, right? That that is you, right? Maybe that is you five, 10 years ago. What would you want that person to hear?
2: Well, unfortunately, I would have to tell them it's illegal. Um, so that's hard to say. I would also tell them to maybe there's some groups that are doing it in Jamaica or Mexico, probably a little bit more psilocybin, but specifically MDMA, I would tell them to do whatever they can. Pronto, call Johns Hopkins, call, um, let's see, call maps, try to figure out how to get in a trial so that they can experience what could take them, um, 20 years of psychotherapy. And I'm not discounting psychotherapy. Great for support. Great for, you know, working out just, you know, um, a personal relationship, great for a lot of things, but pre-verbal infancy trauma, good luck. Yeah.
1: Right. So that psychedelic assisted therapy is really good for that pre-verbal stuff. You know, I I want to ask you this question because
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: I, I work with a lot of parents and this is what associate maybe because of a session I had earlier today, but it's wild to think, right? And I, I believe this, it's just hard to fathom that this one surgery could have impacts for you for, like you said, 55 years, you know, like that is a crazy thing to, or like a lot of pressure to have as a parent to think that one decision could really stick with somebody for that long. What are your, what are your thoughts on that?
2: I know. Um, Well, I had to have the surgery or I was going to die. So, um, so, you know, my parents, that wasn't a question, but I think If our society knew better, especially my parents' generation, about not having touch or being in an incubator, all these things, like, why didn't I have, you know, I would have loved if my parents had gotten me into maybe massage as a young girl, or maybe they would have touched me more, or who knows? Or at the first sign of my eating disorder, anorexia and bulimia, maybe that's the time But it's still, I mean, it's, yeah, it's got to be really frustrating for parents. I think, I mean, I said this to um, a client's parents the other day that I'm I'm working with a client. I said, you know, there's never too much love, you know, like love in even a boundary sense, but like love will never, never hurt, you know, your child. And then boundaries, of course, too, but lots and lots of love. So, yeah, which, you know, my parents didn't really know how to do. Um, Yeah, it would be hard to be a parent. Um, But a lot of this is common sense. And I've asked a lot of my clients who came to me with borderline personality disorder, and no one ever asked them, did you have an infant surgery? Do you know how many of them said yes? 90%. Wow. I mean, and that includes a cesarean. So I remember Stan Groff doing a lot of work on um, birth traumas and kind of the different matrices of the birth. But, yeah, like common sense. Go through your history. Even from, you know, go through your even your parents history or your mom's history. What was happening at the time? Did she have depression? And then go through your own history and use common sense, and talk to your therapist, talk to your healthcare workers, and outline what may or may not have happened.
1: Yeah, Yeah. I think that's good advice, is trying to take that bigger picture, because as kids, we're not aware of that, you know, we're just in our own minds, so I think, yeah, really mapping as what was going on with your parents, what was going on, you know, in society, what was going on you know, with their jobs, with, with the home, you know, trying to get that bigger picture can be really powerful and hopefully, you know, shed some more light and some clues onto what some of the more root causes are for individual suffering and
2: symptoms. Absolutely. And I just want to also make clear, I don't know ketamine individually, but that's happening legally. So you can always check that out. But, and right now, MDMA is the only thing that's worked for me infant surgery-wise surgery, surgery wise. Uh, psilocybin, I can't say the same. So it's just strictly for me, it's been MDMA, which is not even technically a medicine because it's, you know, made. So it's not like it has its own consciousness like psilocybin. But right now I can only speak to MDMA for pre-verbal trauma.
1: Yeah, I think that's good for people to know is that there's a lot of different things out there. And I would encourage people just to kind of highlight what you're saying is to try to find a practitioner, you know, maybe another country if necessary to get involved in a clinical research trial. Um, Essentially, what I'm saying is like, don't do it on your own, right? Like, don't have your buddy buy some drugs at a show and try to have a therapeutic session. I don't think that's that's that can be very dangerous for individuals. And, And I hope that they don't get that message that we're encouraging this type of use, because you know, in your story, you were in a very controlled environment with somebody who was trained and who was going to be there for you. I think in an untrained environment, if that person, you know, said the wrong thing or or didn't have the patience to hold you for three hours, it could be damaging. You know, it could have made it worse. So I think it's important to have, you know, somebody who really knows what they're, what they're doing and have a a safe environment. If you want to go into some of these really deep traumatic experiences that, that you might carry.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, It is, um, let's see, contraindicated that if you have bipolar or are taking any kind of pharmaceuticals, um, that you wean off a lot of this stuff or that you don't participate or you have a psychiatrist on hand. So there's just, you know, we still have a lot to, you know, know about all this.
1: Yeah. Like at the end of the day, it's still experimenting on the brain. Right, yep. whether that be in an official setting or an unofficial setting, these are things that are incredibly powerful, like you're hearing from Tamara's story, and have a lot to still be discovered, both in you know their use cases and in cases where it's not appropriate. So just to be really, really clear about that, Absolutely. I think' it's important. um
2: I also tried a little bit of recreational in my days, and I will I don't even want to do it recreationally anymore. This is this is sacred to me. This gave me my life. <laughs> Why would I want to do that in a party setting? No, nope. And we, you know, we don't know a lot of things are laced with things these days. So, you know, just work with people who are in the know in a trial for now. And then when it becomes licensed, you have to really do your homework on who you're working with mm-hmm. for sure.
1: That's great. Yeah. Yeah. And I, this is just armchair, so please take this for, with a grain of salt. But I think a lot of your experience around touch being a major thing and around affection being a major thing, that was, you know, there's some similarities in my story around that as well. And it does seem that MDMA works with that, you know, with this, because it does break down those barriers, like like we're talking about. And, you know, again, if you look at like the the, the rave use case, it's, Makes it feel all of a sudden safe to touch other people and to be touched and to be in a close quarters dancing with another individual, removing a lot of that shame. I think body shame that people really do feel, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, thinking that they're unattractive, or that they're unlovable or being afraid of being like a predator or not knowing how to express themselves physically. There's a lot that goes into the body. I'd be curious if you have any thoughts around that, um, around body, around, I mean, sexuality, I think you know, affection being held. What do you, what do you think about that, Tamara?
2: Oh yeah. All of it. Or even just image. I mean, when you're, you're naming all this stuff and what is it like to be yourself? I mean, that is my mission. That is what my app is going to be about. That's everything. I want people to be able to be themselves. And if they have, you know, behavior that's harmful, Let's have you be yourself so that we can actually contact that behavior that's harmful so we can change it. But not to feel like you can be yourself is, to me, a kiss of death. You might as well be dead. So I think this just opens up everything. Image, all the things you named, probably creates new neural pathways, gives you that divine feeling, that godlike feeling that a lot of us didn't have in church or in synagogue so here we are we're the divine in an experience there's nothing better
1: yeah what would you say to somebody who relates to with what you just said about not being themselves is there you know an exercise or activity or something that they could think of you know or something that helped you recognize that or take a step towards the self because i think that is critical what you're saying there
2: oh um gosh there's so much i think um I think the one thing I can say is if you find a therapist that you don't feel judged by and you feel like is capable of love to the best of their ability, it starts there. That's where original wounds happen. So at least start with a really good, solid relationship where you're safe and just allow being loved because your therapist hopefully will really want you to be yourself.
1: Well, but, well hold on, hold on. I'm going to challenge you here because I think that's that's a hard instruction.
0: Really? You know, I think
1: back to what you said around just being your body, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. just allow yourself to be loved. For some people, they could say the same thing, right? It's like, I've never felt loved. What do you mean just like allow love? You, you know what I'm saying? Like-
2: that's, Yeah, that sounded a little too meagy. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'm thinking of a client right now. To the- I don't know if the guy can be in his body, but each session, I freaking love this guy. I love what he does for a living. I laugh at his jokes. I smile at him. I take him in. Wherever anyone is, you can still love them or like them deeply or feel engaged with them or feel um, enjoyment with them. And I hope to God as therapists, When I don't feel that with a client, I will refer out or they'll leave or they won't even come to me in the first place. I freaking love my clients and I do my best to have a really, really safe, close relationship. I am their number one fan. And so I really hope therapists, I've heard a lot of stories out there about therapists. I'm not sure all of them can do this, but that's the one thing I've seen consistently I'm basically reparenting from afar. I'm not hugging anyone or touching anyone, but I'm reparenting most of my clients and saying, you can do it. You're lovable. You're beautiful. I believe in you. Let's do this. Let's get on that app and get this date. Let's do it together. Here, let me metaphorically hold your hand. I'm here. I'm rooting for you. You're amazing. That's how I like to do therapy. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I think a lot of people really need that. I think they really need... You know, yeah, the reparenting or there's someone in their corner.
0: Yeah.
1: And, but, and, and I think there's a lot of barriers to that. I think people trying a to lot. think from my own work, you know, both personally and, you know, with the people I work with, there's like a fear of, you know, getting let down, a fear of getting hurt, a fear of that person leaving. There's a lot, I think, that can come up when exposed to love as, as pure as it is. Um, so what I would say is just to be really kind and, and careful with yourself. If, yeah. If you, and, and talk about the barriers right talk about those times yeah. when it doesn't go in you know when absolutely. when you are pushing somebody away or when you do reject them and then how you reject them
2: absolutely yeah it's really good therapeutic material um yeah and it's fun to get the material that comes up in session like you don't really like me do you it's like mm-hmm. really how did you know that do you really believe that to be true so it's just it's just interesting. People show you what's happening for them yeah. in all kinds of ways. Yeah. So then you just meet that, and then meet that, and then meet that. But um, I feel pretty good about um, hopefully. <laughs> but yeah, I feel good about what my clients would say about me. I think m- most of them would say I'm their number one person. That I'm that they have the most intimate relationship with me out of anyone else and that I believe in them out of pretty much anyone else. And that really makes me smile.
1: Well, that's fantastic. So <laughs> yes. on that note, uh, as a wrapping up here, where could people find you if they wanted to be a client or learn more about your app? Uh, where can they, where can they find you out there on the internet?
2: Yeah. So uh, Tamra T a m r a s a t t l e r T A M R A S A T T L E R.com. So my app is coming out, it's called Awakenly. It's just various exercises to help you become more of yourself. I also did a a documentary on BPD because that's what I used to specialize in. And yeah, if you have any, I like to refer people. I like to, you know, do help where I can. Um, So yeah, reach out if you wanna reach out and I'll try to get you to someone that can help or offer more knowledge.
1: Great. Well, thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, share it, leave a review. Any of those things really, really help. And we will catch you next week on another episode of From the Ashes.
0: Thank you for joining host Mark Azoulay on From the Ashes. Be sure to tune in again live next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Meet Triumph and Defeat and treat those two imposters the same.